Jesus. Uh, this is a time for us to praise God because uh, yes. there is something about praising God. And uh, the Bible says when we open our mouth with yes. praises, uh, he fills that mouth with his goodness. Yes. You know, and, and the thing is like uh, the enemy gets trembled. And, and today's, uh, you know, morning meditation, we're going to step into some of those places as well. How the enemy is scared when mm-hmm. when his saints open their mouth. Yeah. So this morning, I just want anyone who has a praise to just like, a, you know, use this time so that the others in the line gets like a strengthened. The yeah. church and the body gets edified when we open our mouth in praises. So the floor is all yours. If there is any praise, go ahead, that you want to share. Hallelujah. 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 I just thank God this morning for the gift of life. I thank Amen. him because it wasn't anything that I did that warned me to be here this morning, but it was just God's love for me. His grace Hallelujah. and his mercy, his new mercy that he gives me morning after morning. Hallelujah. And I just thank him right now just to be alive, you know. I, you know, I've had so many friends, close friends, in the past month or so, about two or three people that had died from COVID, you know, and mm. this thing is hitting home, and I just thank God this morning for life. I thank God that my family circle has not been broken. I just praise Hallelujah. him this morning because of his love. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Yes, Miss yeah. Brenda, that is something that, you know, we all should be thanking because, you know, the angel of death can be roaming everywhere, but it doesn't yeah. come into our house because there is the blood on the doorpost of every one of our houses, yeah. you know, yeah. and that there is, a, the, you know, the God of this, uh, you know, universe makes sure that everything else could be going in chaos, but not in our house, because there's the blood on the doorpost of our house. Hallelujah. And I, I just want to thank God. Um, on Wednesday, it'll be three years for the passing of my father. And sometimes it hits so hard. But I am yes. so thankful that he he passed away of, with Alzheimer's. And I am mm-hmm. so thankful that he did not have to go through any of this COVID. That, that would have been absolutely horrible, not being able to see him. But Mm -hmm. his passing, that's what brought me into Proverbs 226. That first Father's Day without him here, that was Mm -hmm. the Saturday before that was the first event I went to. And I have Mm -hmm. never felt so at home with people. And and I just can't thank him enough for bringing me where I'm at now, even though the of him passing, but it it was almost like the bittersweetness of 
where I'm at today. And I know I would have never been in this position if it had never happened. And I I, just, I thank him for that. Thank yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank, thank you, Lord. Lord. We love you. 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 Yeah, I, I have a I have a praise report and I also have a prayer request. And, and it's all combined in one. Um I'm asking you to pray for my daughter Felicia. She um she had a mammogram and ultrasound and the doctor said they saw a mass and she's mm-hmm. going in Thursday for um a biopsy. Mm-hmm. And I'm praising God because I already feel like whatever they might have thought they saw, God has already fixed it. So I'm praising him right now, and I'm contented in my heart. I don't know how she feels about it, but I know the God that I serve, and God is a good God. And however he fixes it, it's going to be all right. And I just want to praise him and give him the honor and the glory for what I know he's going to do. So because he's an awesome God and I want to thank Fred Lee because she sent out a quote this morning that um, telling Satan to get your hands off of me, get your hands off of my family and Satan may as well get his hands off because he's already been defeated. So I'm praising God for for what he is able to do and that's what I wanted to say. Thank yes. you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Jesus, thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you. Barbara, you make me want to shout. Thank you. Get on up and do it. Hallelujah. Because nothing on this earth is bigger than the God we serve. Thank you. And I don't care how he fixes it. Even if it's Positive, I wanted to say this as an encouragement mm-hmm. to you. Earlier this week, we had somebody who asked for prayer for the first time. This man asked for a, a man you know, that he loves, and he asked for a prayer. And Mm -hmm. uh, they had a cancer in his body, and they were going on a surgery to remove some parts of his body, Um, you know. And the thing is this, uh, Miss Barbara, that uh, everybody jumped in to pray. Many on this line jumped in to pray. And later that afternoon, I got a text from his wife, that said the surgery was successful. That's that's normal. That's normal because, you know, the the, the thing is that everybody prayed and that, that, you know, the surgery was successful. But there's more to it, Miss Barbara. She also said they were able to get the mass out robotically, not have to open them up. When we pray for somebody, Miss Barbara, and we ask for that cancer to be removed. God's not just going to remove that part of the cancer. He's going to do it unpainfully. Amen. Thank God for that. Thank you God. Know, God. He knows not to open our body because he sees beyond what we can see, Miss Barbara. Yes. And he heals. And, and he does more. 
Yes. Than what we ask yes. for. Yes, exceedingly Hallelujah. and we can even thank your ass. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. I know he's able. Yes, yes, yes. he yes. is. Yes, he is. He does hear and answer prayer, so. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. This Earlier this week, Miss Barbara, I was speaking to this boy, Kevon. Oh, my little, my little friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, it was a long conversation at the end. Uh, he said, Mr. Cyril, I want to stay humble. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, but, but that, that's just so great. And I lift him up and pray. Every time I pray, I call his name. Yeah. And he, he, he don't know who I am or what I look like, but I pray for him every Amen. day. I keep Amen. him up as well as all of the children. But I Amen. especially call his name in prayer. Amen. Amen. I told him, humble, being humble is the only way we're going to win this race. Yeah. We're going to beat the odds. We're going to come out, you know, much better. Stay there because God has a plan, you know. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. rooting for this kid. Oh, he's going to have a great chance to me. Amen. Amen. You have to be sure that um, on that Friday night that the camera is on him. <laughs> Absolutely. So that you, you can see him but, and on Barbara so he can see her. We got to pray that he sits still for the camera. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's my attention. <laughs> He's going to be swinging his hair as he's there. <laughs> Hallelujah, yes. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Remember to put that in the notes. Uh, Brenda put that in the notes. Be sure we can go those people. We definitely got to see Kia. I'll be on the high call and pin his hair away from his face before we start. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And we're going to get everybody that's on the phone. We're going to have them. Uh, we're going to work on trying to be sure everybody can see. Right, Amen. right, Miss Poinsett? <laughs> yes, yes. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Any more praise items this morning before we get into the Word? Hallelujah. Is Fred Leon and Sonia? Are they on? Yes, ma'am. Sonia's here. Okay. Did Fred Lee get on? I don't know. That's strange. Yeah. I'm going to call her on my other phone. Okay. Okay. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for all the praises, Father God. God, these praises, Father, we lift them up before the throne room this morning. Father God, the prayers that came out of it, Father God, that our hearts are filled with gratitude. Father God, we wanted to enter your courts with praise this morning. Hallelujah. Father, we pray that... uh, you will just like a take control 
or the next, uh, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes or hour, whatever that is, Father God, let yeah. your name be glorified. But we would just like a glean onto your word that we would hang on to that word, yeah. Father God. Not just for today, Father God, yeah. for the rest of our life that we will just like a glean on to the yeah. words, Father God, that you're teaching us. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Help us, Father God, to just like to stay focused on you, Father God. Father God, just to to lift our eyes towards the mountain where our help comes from. Yes. Oh, Father, this morning, our help comes from, Father God, the the King of glory that is sitting on the throne room. Father God, looking down upon each and every one of us, that's the mountain. Father God, we are looking up to you this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As we go into this word, Father yes. God, I pray that you will just like bring clarity to the words that are being spoken, that this will be a word of healing. It will be a word of encouragement for someone who is listening for this today morning. Yes. Make it, Father God, personal. Father God, make this word personal to us today. Yes. Now we will, Father God, take it home. Yes. Hallelujah. Surrender ourselves into your mighty hands, Lord, as you take the glory and Father, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. The conference has been This morning, you know, we are in the series of looking at the miracles that Jesus did and the miracles that were recorded even in the Old Testament, we're just going to pick yeah. on few of these miracles, and we're just going to see how does this apply to me today? How is this miracle that happened 2,000 years ago applies to me today? Right? Yeah. And so this morning, we're going to pick on uh, another one of Jesus' miracles, mm-hmm. and this one is about healing uh, a, a blind man. There are three, three miracles where Jesus healed the blind man. Mm. And, the, and, the, and the thing is that the, each of those three times when Jesus did the miracle, there were three different ways in which he did the miracle, number one. And the second thing is, on all three occasions, there were like a, something that he has placed right in the middle of it. That's what he was just like a chew on this morning. This miracle that we are talking about today is on John chapter 9. John chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 9. The the thing is, when we look at the the gospel according to John, John actually, you know, not just like it talks about just a miracle, but everything around the miracle. What happened with that miracle? So, this one miracle, he dedicated the entire chapter of nine. Uh, and so um, let's go to John chapter 9. I'm going to read first verses 1 through 12, and then we will come back and read 13 to 34, and then we will read from 35 to 41. The entire chapter, we will read them, okay? So with that said, let's go to John chapter 9. It says, Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. That's the difference between the other two miracles 
where those two other men were not actually blind from their birth. They just became blind somewhere in the journey. But here, this baby was actually born blind, right? So he has no idea what anything looks. Unless he touches something, he has no idea how um, his father looks. He has no idea how the flowers look. He can smell, but he doesn't have any idea, right? So this is like a, a, a complete, like a, you know, darkness is all he has seen. The entire life he has seen only darkness, right? And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, in some places it says, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming and no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made a clay with saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? And he said, I don't know. All right. Let's go to this one. This is a special time of the year in, in, in Jerusalem. Why? Because there is a feast of tabernacle that was going, and uh, the temple. Um, if someone on the line can put yourself on mute, there's a tiny bit noise. Um, so, it is a feast of tabernacle, so he's in the temple. Jesus is in the temple. A lot of people, they, they have this pilgrimage. They come to the temple once a year, right? And they have celebration for eight days. That whole town is buzzing. Everybody that uh, lives in the nearby towns and villages, they come. They, they just like a flock. Even now, the, 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 the Feast of Tabernacle in, in Israel is like a big deal. Recently, I saw three million people were just like going through a narrow street, all like squeezing themselves. They wanted to beat them in Jerusalem, right? And Jesus had come 
and he was also there. And during this time, right, he has conversations with the, the Jewish leaders because he's making certain statements. You can actually go back and see. And so they're actually upset with Jesus. In fact, if we go to the previous chapter, it says like uh, Jesus uh, was quoting about Abraham, that he was there even before Abraham was, right? And they were trying to stone him. So a lot of drama was going around this town at this point. But eight days over, the next morning, he's still in town. This is like, you know, after Thanksgiving, you guys all like there is some leftovers. The next day we sit down, pull that turkey and eat the same way. It was the day after Jesus went to the temple. As he was coming out of the temple, he sees this man that was blind from birth. Right? He was probably like a 40-year-old man was blind. In those days, the blind people, the only way they survived, they could not do any work. So the only way they survived was begging on the street. Right? And the, the second verse says, this is where, you know, we, we need to start to go into this, um, that, that his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. And Jesus answered neither, right? But look at it this way. The, 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 the disciples wanted to ask Jesus questions about this, this whole suffering of this man. But they were pointing to what actually was going on right now in this man's life, and they were trying to figure out an answer. The, the thing is this, I don't know whether this question is correct or wrong. There's so many theological differences and arguments that people have. You can see them online. But here's the thing. We should ask God questions. He will never get tired of us asking him questions. God will absolutely answer if we ask him with any question. He has seen so many in thousands and thousands of years of people asking him questions. He's not going to get offended. We don't really need to feel like, is this the right question to ask God? There's no such thing as like a, you know, bad question to ask God. We should ask God for a question. If we don't have an answer, we should go after his throne and ask him, right? And that's what these... Jewish disciples were doing to Jesus because he's still there. They were wanting to ask questions. And the reason why that they were trying to ask this question is because there is a belief that was there in a prenatal sin, right? Preborn child can have sin in mother's womb. This is, this is a kind of like a theology that existed in those days. The Greeks believed very strongly in someone doing some sin in the mother's womb itself. There are some verses in the Bible in the Old Testament that supports tiny bit. It wasn't directly, but it, you know, it just says you know certain things about like how we 
can do mistakes when we are in the mother's womb. That's not actually what the Bible says, but the, the Jewish people have actually taken that verse to the extreme, like how they do into some of these things. And they have this wrong theology that the child must have done something wrong. That's why even before the child was born, the child had a deformity. There was some suffering because he did something wrong. Because in their mind, they're equating back to Adam because after Adam and Eve sinned, the suffering was introduced into this world. So they're kind of like, a, you know, making all this thing up because they want to know who did this mistake, right? And here's the thing. Jesus answered him, neither. But look at it. The, 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 this whole miracle could have started with that questioning, right? But the miracle actually did not start with a question. The miracle started when Jesus saw a blind man from birth. A lot of times, there, there are so many ways we can theologically argue, we can just like a go into word and we can come up with something. But the thing is that Jesus is not interested in any of those things. He's interested in seeing this blind man from birth getting cured. In fact, he answers them that question, right, that it is for God's glory. It's for God's glory to be displayed in this man's life. But that is, you know, the 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 purpose behind it. They were asking why this happened, and he was not even trying to address that part. But instead, he's saying, leave all those why part. Let me fix this man's eyes. But here's the question for everyone that is listening to. Do you believe that suffering that we go through can bring God's glory in our life? The question is, do you believe the suffering that we go through can bring God's glory in our lives? Sometimes God allows certain things to happen in our lives so he can turn his light and he can bring the purposes, right? Granted, suffering is not something that we all want to have, but there are sometimes God allows certain things to happen in our life. Why would God... A good God allow suffering upon his people. If he's a God who wants to bring a salvation to his people, why suffer them, right? There are reasons why God sometimes allows certain things to happen in our life. The number one reason why sometimes God allows certain things to happen is because he wants to equip us. He wants to, you know, Equip us during that time for something else that's going to come later. He wants to prepare us for that. The ones that went through divorce or loss of a loved one are the best person to actually help somebody else who is going through the same thing. Can you imagine, like, you know, as someone 
you know, who's going through the cancer for the first time hears from somebody saying, oh, I've gone through this. I've, I've been there. See, sometimes when the doctors give like a bad news, and if you haven't already been through that, you have no idea how to get from there to the next place. If you haven't been through a divorce in your life and your husband walks away from your home and you have no idea what that means, if you have a phone call that comes and says your son is arrested or sent to prison, if you haven't been there before, you're actually looking for somebody to come through and tell you it's going to be all right. And I've gone through this, and I know you can get through this as well. Sometimes God allows you certain things to happen in our life so that he can equip us. He can make us as a teacher. He can actually use us for his glory. When I was, uh, you know, young, my dad left me when I was six years, six months old, right? It was a rough path growing up with our father. I had to, one day I had to go, the, the, the thing is, God has made a lot of provisions in my life. Right? Well, there was one provision that he did when I was growing up is that there was a, a man and a woman in Australia, you know, North Wales, and they had actually sent me $30, $35 all the way to India. Right? Now, in order to get that money, I had to go stand in a line. Right? I had to go stand in a line and just, to, you know, sign some papers every time I need some money. I have to give an explanation for why I need that money. But here's the thing. One morning, I went to collect the money. And the thing is this, in India, the weather in India is always 100 degrees or more. Every day of the year, this, this temperature is like really scorching hot. Sometimes we get like 110 and 115. That's why if any Indian tells that, oh, it's too hot, you know, just don't buy into that because we have had hotter days in India, right? So this morning that I went there and uh, the line was already standing uh, at 8 o'clock in the morning when we went there, it was there. Not only the line was there, but the line was so long, it went around the building. It's like sometimes when you go to DMV at 8 o'clock, you would see the people are standing there already, right? And you would have kept the alarm, you went there, but there were still like, a, you know, 10 or 15 people that were standing in the front, right? But this particular morning that I went to, there were at least 40 or 50 people already standing in the line before we got there. Right? And that line moved inch by inch by inch throughout the whole day, and we were standing in that line. Right? And by the time, if I say like it's moving inch by inch, they're taking one person at a time inside right, and working with that. And now 
by the time we came to the counter, we stood the whole day on that line. When we came to the counter, it was 4 o'clock in the evening. We stood there on that line the whole day. The thing is, the, the office closes at 4 o'clock. That by the time we came to the counter, that lady closed the door and said, we're done for this day, come back tomorrow. The thing is this, at that particular moment in time, it was really, I was fuming, I was angry, I was frustrated. You can name every possible pain and you can put it on that particular thing. But because of what I went through during those times of like a, how hard it is, now I can actually don't need to sympathize with these boys and girls when they come to the event, when they come to the event, I actually don't like these boys to stand in the line to get their food. And that's why I always tell our team, let them go sit down. We will serve them. Because every time I see somebody standing in the line, it just reminds me of the day that I spent moving inch by inch, right? The same thing with like if somebody going through a divorce, somebody going through a terminal illness. First the time when you go through and you don't have enough help, it is like everything becomes longer for you. And God equips you so that you can actually turn your misery into a ministry later. And that's why, what the, the, you know, the Bible says where Paul writes to Second Corinthians chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our trials and tribulations, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So the number one reason why God would allow us to go through this is because he's equipping us. He's making us strong. He wants to use this. The second thing is that the suffering and the trial and the pain, they strengthen us, not only equips us, it strengthens our, our belief. It matures us during the time of our trial that we go through. I heard this morning the testimony about that Father's Day that somebody talked about, like, you know, how her father, you know, left, and that just, like, made a big dent in her life, and that even though he has left, but it just matured her for, like, looking at something that is beyond, like, what God was allowing it to happen. And, and the Paul, um, in Second Corinthians, he's uh, talking about something that happened to him. Um, he had a thorn in his flesh. He, think about it, right? Paul, this is Paul we are talking about. Paul, the one who actually done so many miracles. Uh, he is preached to so many people. He was like one of the most, you know, adored person uh, in the Bible, he wrote most of the books in the New Testament, right? And he had a thorn in his flesh. 
Right? He goes and prays and prays and prays. And God did not remove the thorn from his body. But after the third time that he prayed, here's what God told him in Second Corinthians chapter 12. It records, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. When, when, when Paul hears that, he then says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insult, in hardship, in persecution, and in difficulties. Sometimes when we pray for certain things, you know, God doesn't remove that part from our body or remove that situation from our life, but instead he uses that to strengthen us. He uses that to mature us. He uses that to, there's like a place that he wants to take us to where none of these things is going to bother us. In fact, James, Jesus' brother, writes in James 1, chapter uh, 1, verses 2, and four, uh, verses 2 to 4, he says, Consider it a pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develop, develops perseverance. Allow perseverance to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and lack nothing. Sometimes God allows certain things to happen in our life because he wants to grow in maturity, because he doesn't want us to be babies all the time, crying out for milk all the time, crying out for every blessing. We, he wants us to know that we ourselves can go to him in prayer rather than looking for somebody else to pray for you. He he does this to strengthen the the mindset of the people to just like to give us the the much needed energy when things don't look right. In the early days of running this Proverbs two to six ministry, every time we run into like a you know lack of money. I, I just get like a really weary and tired and lean in my soul. But over the period, God has given me this just um, maturity to stay in his presence and know that he is the God who has every resource. He can, he owns the cattle on the hills. He knows, and he knows to give us the good gift and he shall supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. The times that, that he never took that pain out of me. That's what he does to the woman who goes through the labor. God doesn't take the pain out of that labor. He uses the pain to bring life into this earth. And that's what God wants to do in your life and my life. He wants us to push through the hardship so that we become mature. The next one that does is this. When we go through suffering and pain, 
He's actually using that suffering and pain to correct us, to discipline us. God uses them because he knows that we are heading on a wrong path. And he needs to yank the rope so that he can get our attention. A lot of times when everything, when everything goes wrong, there is a tendency for us to stray away from the truth, to stray away from the Christ. In fact, this happens to a lot of pastors and ministry leaders that when they start their ministry, right, they always have like a prayer, prayer time. They will always spend time in fellowshipping with people. They will always be so ready to read the word. They, 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 they just like dedicate themselves toward God. And when they do that, God gives them access to the resources, right? God gives them access to the building. God gives them access to the money. God gives them access to the people with the resources. But over a period of time, we just like move away from what is important. We move away from prayer. We move away from people. We move away from reading the Word. When we start to move away from God, God continuously tries to warn us from moving away from Him. Because the closer we are to the Lord, as we draw near to Him, He draws near to us. The things that we needed are so difficult to get, becomes very easy when God is in the midst of a problem. But as we start to move away and away from him, the same thing that was coming so easy is now so difficult to get. Why? Because God wants to teach us a lesson. He wants to discipline us so that we can come back to him. So what was once easy that is now difficult, he wants to solve the problem for us, but he wants us to wants us in a place where he can bless us. In fact, David says in Psalm 119, 67, he says, before I was afflicted, I went astray. He says, before I had the suffering, I was actually going on the wrong path. I was looking at Bathsheba from that balcony. I was going on the wrong path. But now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. C.S. Lewis says in, in one place where he says, no doubt pain as God's megaphone is a terrible instrument. No doubt pain as God's megaphone is a terrible instrument. Right? And he goes on to talk about it, but at the end he says, it removes the veil, it plants the flag of truth within the fortress of a rebel soul. He says that when we go through suffering, we actually get a clarity about like who God is. We get a clarity to stay calm in the middle of the storm. We may be sitting in the eye of the hurricane. Everything else could be broken around us. But because God is in the midst of us, he's already turned us 
towards him. Right? And that's why Paul says in Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are called according to his purpose. And, and the thing is this, God has a plan. God has a purpose for you and me. Sometimes he can only get our attention when things are not going good. When everything goes well, we are in the la-la land and we don't pay attention to what is going on. And in this case, just like this man who was born blind, this may be, the reason may be that he is blind is not just because he did something wrong or his parents did something wrong because hundreds and thousands and thousands of years later, we are still talking about this, this miracle so that we can actually glean strength from this miracle. His name will be glorified. He will never do anything that would harm us, but he will always stand there to support every single thing that we do. Look at this verse even more on that. Fourth verse, he says, as long as it is day, as long as it is day, I must do the works of him who sent me. God is not interested in all this theological conversations those days that Jewish people were having. He wants to get to the matter. He wants to get to the problem. He wants to see this man cured and be well. So, the second thing I saw, the first thing that I saw in this one is this one question about the sin and the suffering, right? The second thing that I saw in this one is this. People were asking, how did he get cured? There, there were like, a, you know, four such instances at this point that they want to know, how did this man get cured, right? And, and the Bible has an answer for it. And in fact, this man tells that story at least three times in this. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, and put it on the man's eyes, and said, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. So, that, so the man went and washed and came home seeing. The disciples probably were thinking, ew, that's just like a saliva. Oh, man. You should have seen if there were like any teenagers from here, they would not even put this in their Instagram or a Twitter account because they're thinking, oh, my God, it's just like, you know, he spit what? So many times we are trying to figure out how God should solve your problem and my problem. In fact, we tell him how to solve our problem. But here's the thing. He is God. He is King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the Jehovah Rapha. He is the Jehovah Shama. He is the Jehovah Ire. He is the El Roi. He is the El Shaddai. He is the God who knows the beginning and the end. He is omnipotent. He is the Alpha. He is the Omega. There's no end to what he can do, right? 
he could have just like uh, during those three years that he was ministering to the people, he could have said like uh, all the people who are blind come to my left side. I have a quarters for all the blind people. All those who are crippled, please help them to come towards the right side. All those who are like uh, cannot speak, oh, can you go to the back to this uh, place. I'm going to do a mass healing of everybody that is sick right now. He could have done that. He could have done a mass healing. But instead, Jesus touches the person that he heals. He wants to make it personal. Every healing that Jesus did is very personal. Right? And the thing is this, all the three, even within the blind men that were getting you know, healed. All three of them are done in different ways. So we cannot actually predict how God can heal you and me. He can choose whatever method he wants to use. In James 5.14, he says, is there anyone of you sick? Is anyone of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with the oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. God can heal if we obey. It doesn't matter the means. He is looking for us to surrender everything to him. And if only people ask, why put the oil on somebody's head? What does it mean? And does really God wants this? This looks like a very religious act. This is, uh, this is very rhetoric of all these Christian people. They put the oil on people's head and they're praying over. There is something that God has already said and given a very clear instruction. Actually, we talked about this on Friday night. That if there is anyone that, you know, is sick, there is something about the anointing with the oil. And uh, I'm not saying this morning, go buy some healing oil um, or, or, you know, pay a lot of money because somebody just like a center of oil that has like a power to heal. No, no, no. You and I don't need to spend a lot of money. You know, go take a small container and... uh, you know, it could be a box, it could be a cup, it could be, it could be a, just a bottle. Just take a bottle, right? And then pour some olive oil in that. And you put your hand upon that oil and you bless that oil and keep it in your prayer room. Keep it in a place where you, you, you go, t- you know, see it. And just like a, every time you feel like a, your heart needs some healing, you feel like a weak in your heart, you feel like a, your, your body is aching, or you feel like your head is hurting, you feel like your body, like a, your hands are hurting, your feet are hurting, go take a, a drop of that olive oil that you blessed. Because you don't really need some super spiritual person to come and bless that oil. You can bless the oil because the Bible says that the kingdom's righteousness flow through our hands. You take that oil and put it on your head and you pray over yourself and see what God does. Because God says, 
when we do this in his name, we will be healed. We don't really need somebody to come and heal us. In fact, in, in one place, the, the anointing of Paul was so heavy that even his handkerchiefs were thrown upon people. The Bible records in Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12, it says, God did an extraordinary miracle, miracles through Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and apron that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illness were cured and the evil spirit left them. And Jesus was on this earth. There was a lady that just came and touched his cloth and that, that she didn't even touch him. She touched what touched him and she was healed. Sometimes this anointing that people leave in ourselves, like that's why you and I should never take what God has given to us for granted. Because every one of us are anointed and every one of us can pray for the sick. Every one of us can pray for the, the ones that are suffering and hurting. And God will hear. And even the stuff that we touch up, I'm not saying that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm still not a huge fan of like a people throwing the handkerchiefs and people falling front and falling back and all those things. I'm not against those kind of like a ministries, but I'm just saying that you don't really need somebody else to throw a kerchief on you. God has already anointed you as a person, and that anointing in you can heal the sick, the broken and restore completely. Acts chapter 15, you know, five, uh, Acts chapter 5, 15 and 16, it talks about Peter every day when he went to the church and he went to the tabernacle. Along the way that he would walk, the people would be laid down on the ground. And when he walks by, just the shadow of Peter, when it touches the people, they were getting healed. In the book of Second Kings, chapter 20, it's talking about a, a, pre, a, a, a king named Hezekiah, right? And uh, God just like sends a prophet to his house and says, you're done, you're going to die. And this, this king goes and he cries out. And when he cried out, and the, and the prophet was still in the building. He was leaving the building. And God told him to turn around and go back to the king and just say to him, I have seen your tears. I'm going to heal you. On the third day, you shall go to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. And unless God says it's done, it's not done. So this king is saying, is that a sign for me that I'm healed, right? And in fact, uh, th this, this word, just like it caught my attention, in Isaiah 38, 21, it's talking about when Hezekiah was sick, Isaiah had said, press some figs together, spread them on a piece of cloth, and apply them to Hezekiah's boil, then he will get well. Is that something in the figure? No. It's just like a God can use anything. 
God can use the dirt. God can use the saliva. God can, you know, do whatever the means that he has at his disposal to heal you and me. Sometimes God heals while we are in this morning service listening to God's word. The word that comes out strengthens your heart and heals your body. As long as you believe that God can heal, he will heal you. I do not know what you're going through this morning. When God decides to heal, he can use even the words come out of this telephone line to heal. And and, and sometimes I've heard like, you know, the people who come volunteer in Proverbs 26, right? they come into prison thinking that they're going to minister to someone who's going through a rough time. But the person who's walking in needs more healing than the one who's actually sitting inside that prison. There was this lady that I met in, in Texas. And this is our very first event we were doing in Texas. And... Uh, uh, there was this one boy who had never seen his father. He was already 19 years old. And uh, we've always allowed the kids below the age 18 or 16 is normally the age we take them inside the prison. But this one time, we were making some exception to it, right? Because he had never seen his father, right? And so when the boy came to see his father for the very first time, the father was broken into million pieces, right? And he was like, a, when the afternoon came and when they started to wash their feet, this father was crying as he was just washing his feet. The tears were just like a falling on this boy's feet and he's washing. And he just like a kissed his feet and he was just like a washing. And then not just one time, he just like said, no, 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 son, don't go, sit down. And he starts to just like wash him the second time. And he's crying and he's wiping his tears from his feet and he's still washing the third time. And while this was all happening, there was a lady standing nearby who was watching this and she's pouring and crying and just... She's sobbing, and she's just like a wailing, right? And we thought, oh, she was just looking at this boy and this father, and she was just like a getting, like, a, you know, the same feel like what Miss Collette gets every time she sees somebody, you know, crying over. That's what we were thinking. But then later I found out that this lady's brother was in prison, and he died in that prison, and she never reconciled with him. She never asked, you know, for forgiveness, or she never asked to just, like, get her things off of her chest, and that she was brewing, and the burning was already there in her heart, and he was just, like, a fighting inside. And when the presence of the God was in that room, it was just touching everybody that was touching his presence. That father washed this boy's feet five times that day, not because that boy needed a clean feet. It's because God was working on this lady 
that was standing nearby. If he had just like a wash one time and walked away, it may not have made an impact on this lady, but because God was working on this lady, he allowed that father to wash his son's feet the second time. Because this lady needed the help that day to reconcile, God actually found this boy after 19 years from wherever he was in Texas to bring him into that room. Because God was interested in this lady getting her heart healed, he actually brought Proverbs 26 into this prison in Tell Unit in Houston, Texas. God cares about you. God cares about what happens in your life. God will never take your pain and suffering for granted. God will send his angels to take charge over you. He will never let your feet touch the ground. He is going to send his angels to carry you through hard times. In the presence of the God, the Lord is in the room. He's going to touch everything he runs into. And we cannot control what God can do. And, and what just like, a, you know, God reminded me as well is that, you know, sometimes, you know, this is a, probably I'm just taking a shot at some of these evangelists and the healing ministers I'm not actually doing. But the thing is that our motive of like a calling for a healing crusade has to be pure, noble and glorifies God. Sometimes I feel like we're doing this for our own benefit and for our own kingdom. And that's why there are times that we have like these healing, healing crusades and the people that are showing up, you know, and they're just not, you know, feeling the, the love and the presence of the Holy God pass through. We have to be careful as ministers of the gospel. It is not what we do that heals that person. It is the who that we have in our hands that touches that person, heals that person. We cannot limit his power. The only thing that limits his power is our unbelief. Psalm 78:41 says, again and again they tempted, they here means that the children of Israel tempted God, tested God, annoyed God, and the Bible says, and limited the Holy One of Israel. They limited him from performing miracles. There was one time Jesus says, like a, there was a, a town that he would walk into, and the people, the unbelief limited him from healing the people. This morning, God wants to strengthen your heart in letting you know there is nothing that is impossible for him. The one that is in you is greater than anybody that can be in this world. Greater is he that is in you than that is in the world. The third thing that I wanted to see very quickly is this. There is a personal testimony that we say in the mornings are so important. We see that in verse 8, the neighbors were asking him. We read about that. The neighbors were saying, is he the one that was blind? And, and they were saying, like, 
uh, no, this is not the one. He looks like him. He's not the one that was begging on the street. But then the man says, I am he. How were your eyes open? He comes out and says, the, the man named Jesus. He, he just like I put a clay uh, of his saliva in my eyes and anointed my eyes. Look, I'm the proof of like this, this eye is being healed. Later, the Jewish leaders, um, verses 13 to, you know, 34, it's talking about like a, they were trying to find a fault with the Jesus, right? And so they were saying like, brought this guy and asked him, how did he do it? And he said like, this is how the man did this. And then they didn't believe him. So they pulled their parents to come. They asked his parents, what happened? And the parents answered him saying, you know, we know that this is our son, and he was blind, but, but what means he, he now sees? He did not know. We, we, you know, we know his eyes are open. He is big enough. You can go ask him. So the second time, they bring this guy in. And this time, they were saying, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And the man says in verse 25, I do not know whether he is a sinner or not. The one thing I know, though I was blind, now I can see. He says to them, I don't know about the claim that you're saying that Jesus is a sinner. I don't know. I was blind, but now I can see. Very simple testimony. In fact, right? The reason why that they were going after Jesus is because there were three violations that Jesus did at that point. In fact, Jesus did seven separate miracles on a Sabbath day. He was trying to piss these guys off because they were not, like, you know, taking God's word in a pure sense. So in the, in the Jewish leader's mind, Jesus did three mistakes. Number one, you know, he is, no one is supposed to help unless they are dying, right? So that's a mistake violation number one, that this blind man was not actually dying. Why are you trying to help him on a Sabbath day? Okay? That was one mistake, one violation. The, the second mistake was that he used his saliva. He did some work in making the clay. The work is not allowed on a Sabbath day. That was his second mistake. And the third strike is that he asked him to go to this pool, right? The distance between the tabernacle and the pool was over 2,000 feet. And they believe that on, on a Sabbath day, they are supposed to walk only 2,000 feet. Ridiculous kind of rules were there, right? And Jesus did that not because he wanted to offend them, but he was taking care of the people. He is not going to abide by this wrongly understood theology. He wants to rejoice in the blind man getting cured. He wants to get out of that rule book and not talk to, you know, for the, the people that, you know, were putting that rule book were not actually enjoying the compassion that Jesus was, was doing to this person, right? 
and, and the very fact, this, this one song, I mean, the, the, this part of this message where, where uh, when he gave that testimony, he says, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I can see. Does this verse remind you of something? This is the one verse that actually created this song called Amazing Grace. Came from this verse, John chapter 9, verses 25. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I was lost. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. And later it says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. I was, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. No one can take away your personal testimony. That's exactly what the enemy is afraid of. When we read the Word of God, we can interpret the Word of God. We can talk about the Word of God. Nothing is going to scare him because he knows the Word more than we know about the Word. But when we turn around and say, this is what my God has done for me, he cannot dispute that. A lot of things we may not know about the Bible, but we need to hold on to what we know. When you come to Charlotte, if you come to Charlotte or when you come to Charlotte, you should visit the Billy Graham Library. And uh, there is one room where he is talking about, like uh, one day he was so bummed and he just like uh, goes to this room and he was crying, saying, God, I don't understand this Bible. I don't understand sometimes like what it says. And he cried out and then, you know, God just like gave him words to just strengthen him. And he became an evangelist and became a reverend later. But that morning when he went to the backyard of his house, put the Bible on the stump and he started to pray, God knew that Reverend Telegram needed help. But he never left him, and he used Billy Graham to do mighty, mighty things over the years. Millions of people heard the word of God. Thousands of them gave their life to Christ because he never left his personal testimony outside the room. He was always open and ready to tell about the grace of God. Here's the last thing, and we will wrap it up. Why did John track this miracle in his gospel when none of the other three gospel writers wrote? In fact, God did, I mean, John dedicated the entire chapter for this. Right? He is not, John doesn't want to write the synoptic gospel. In the book of John, the gospel according to John, there's only seven miracles in total. 
If we include the resurrection, only eight miracles were tracked in the book of John. So then, why this miracle? John says, Jesus did more miracles than what I can write. In fact, if we go to John chapter 20, verses 30, he says, Jesus performed many more other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. In John's mind, right, there is something that made sense about this man who was blind from birth. Right? Sometimes people say, I have this quality that is, you know, from my birth, like, you know, uh, uh, this is how I am. You know, I cannot change this, is, you know, how I'm made up of. Or sometimes I've heard, like, uh, you know, that, that this is because my father did the same thing, my grandpa did the same thing, my uncles did the same thing, so now I'm doing it too, right? People say certain diseases were born from the birth, like this blind man and the blindness, right? People even say, like, the homosexuality. They say, it's like, you know, they were born with it. Here's what John is making a point. They may have been born with any of those deformities. Your life and my life could have so many things that we may not have, you know, the growth pattern that we were supposed to have or, you know, we may not have, like, we may be born with certain qualities, but when he gets interrupted, he comes into our life, when he starts to interrupt our life, when he comes in and intervenes in our life, when he takes control, nothing holds any permanence. I do not know what you were born with, but God is saying this morning, you can be born again. I do not know what you're going through, that the enemy may have a stronghold in your life. When God intervenes, when Jesus intervenes in your life, he can turn the water into wine. He can make the blind see. He can make the lame walk. He can make the deaf hear. He can make the mute speak. Why? Because nothing is permanent when Jesus shows up in your life. I do not know what you're going through and, and, and what you're, you know, just like I bothered with this this morning, that the one who died on that rugged cross is ready to break the cross and restore your life. And that's why the Bible says in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. But God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins, against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are new. New anointing, new mercy, new grace, the old is gone. Is there someone in this line where the enemy has told you there is no way out? This is it. You're done.
this. This is this is all that you're going to achieve. This is the only job that you're going to get. There's nothing more that you can do. God is here to tell you this morning. Unless I say it's done, it's not done. And Jesus shows up in your life when the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This morning, I want you to take a moment to just like remember the things that you said about the things that are happening in your life, the negative things that you have done to yourself. I want you to just like open that up before God and say, God, I'm sorry for not trusting you, not believing in you, not just coming clean before you. God, I've just limited you with my unbelief. God, this morning, I want to be open, like an open book before you. Here's my heart. Go ahead and do the open heart surgery. God, I know your grace is sufficient for me, just like Paul. God can just like use any means possible to bring you back home as long as we're willing to obey. Think about this man who said three times before his neighbors and two times before the leaders of the church. He was, in fact, excommunicated. He cannot go back into the temple. His rights were removed as a Jewish person. He didn't care about any of those things. When he left from the temple, excommunicated, Jesus picked him up. In verse 35, Jesus picks him up, and he takes him into his arms, and he leads him into home. I do not know what would take us home, but as long as we are willing, he is ready to take us home into a place where you and him will have a personal conversation, a place where it is safe for you and I to open up ourselves before him and he can take us outside the town and heal us completely this morning. The man that was born blind from birth, Jesus says, that which was there is no longer there. You're healed in the name of Jesus. Brother Vince. Thank you, Brother Cyril, for this message directly from God's Word. And how we learn from the blind man and how these miracles apply <clears throat> to us today. Thank you, Father, for showing us, for maturing us, for growing us, and bringing us closer to you. And for the message, Cyril, and healing of a blind man. Should we ask God questions? Yes, we should ask God to question. And the miracle about the blind man didn't do Started, did not start with the question. It started with Jesus seeing the blind man from birth. He saw him before he was even in his mother's womb. And do you believe the sufferings we go through 
can bring God's glory in our life. The sufferings we go through from our family and friends, even ourselves, do you believe that's bringing us closer to him? He wants to keep us in suffering for a purpose, for a future purpose, to prepare us for a future purpose. And then when we're going through that, we don't see that. We just see our suffering and our circumstances. And do we trust in him to bring us through? Because he's equipping us. He's using it for his glory to strengthen us and to mature us so we can rely solely on him. He wants to sometimes to correct us because he says it's going down the wrong path. He wants to get our attention. Stop. Turn around. Go the other way. Like, like a father who cares for us, who wants to correct us. And we can get a clarity from him. Now, how, how do people, how do we get cured? There's so many different ways, and it's very personal of how Jesus heals us. It's very personal, and the method he uses is different for everybody. It's very, some of it's very unconventional, un, un, uh, like he did with the blind man. But there's others that are, you know, they make, make more sense than common sense. But Jesus is unpredictable, and, and we love him, and we trust in him. And everyone is anointed, anointed that can pray for the sick. Every one of us has the anointing ability. But do you believe God can heal? You have to believe that he can heal us and use any method because he cares about you. He will never leave you alone during your pain and suffering. He will heal you and see you through. And the only thing that limits his power is our unbelief. Lastly, no one can take away your personal testimony. Very simple testimony. doesn't have to be lengthy, but that's where the enemy runs in fear of your personal testimony. There. Amen. Lord Jesus, we bow before you in humility and ask you to examine our hearts today. Show us anything that is not pleasing to you. Reveal any secret pride, any unconfessed sin, rebellion, or unforgiveness that may be hindering our relationship with you. We know that we are your beloved children, having received you in our hearts and lives and having accepted your death as penalty for our sinfulness, the price you paid covers us for all time, and our desire is to live for you. As we take the bread representing your life that was broken for us, we remember and celebrate your faithfulness to us and to all who will receive you. Thank you for your extravagant love and unmerited favor. Thank you that your death gave us life abundant life now and eternal life forever. We receive this bread in remembrance of you. And in the same way, we take this cup representing your blood poured out from a splinted cross. You are the supreme sacrifice for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Today, we remember and celebrate the precious gift of life you gave us through the blood you spilled. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 The night before Jesus was crucified, before he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me as we take this bread this morning. Know this for sure. Nothing is permanent in your life and my life. And he can change in a moment's notice. And he can turn our suffering. He can turn our tears. He can give a meaning for what we are going through. As we take this, remember that he is the God who is sitting on the right hand of the Father. And he can come and to judge the living and the dead, and he can change your life in a moment's notice. The things that you suffer will no longer exist. That, Jesus says, is what we will remember as he takes this breath. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Go ahead, take the drink. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The conference has been unmuted. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God, you are the God who was and who is and who is to come. Father, I pray this morning that the words that we talked about today, Father God, will become real in every one of our lives, Father God. Yes, Lord. Remember us, remind us every single day, Father God, that you, Father God, are still sitting on the throne. You have done everything for us. Yes, Lord. God, we pray this morning that you will just like it go before us and make this a, an amazing